Today on the podcast, we have the honor of talking to Ryan and Don out of Orange County, Florida, and specifically about their rescue climber program and rescuing people off of the massive wheel that you see down there in Florida and what kind of logistics and tactics go into doing that. Uh, really happy to have these guys on. They reached out directly via social media to us. And by all means, it's not an exclusive club out there. If you've got a, a story that you want to talk about, it's to do with rescue or fire or paramedicine, please give us a ring, reach out via the social media means like these gents here did. And we would love to chat with you. We're just interested, as was most of the listeners, about everything to do out there with rescue and all the aspects around rescue. So, podcast number 44. Without any further ado, we'll kick right into the podcast. We've got Don and Ryan on today from Orange County Fire Rescue. How are you guys doing? Good, doing Mark. Really good. Thank you. Doing good. Excellent. So, one of you, why don't you uh, just give me a breakdown of Orange County Fire Rescue, where it is, how big it is, what it kind of covers. Uh, sure. Um, so Orange <laughs> County is, uh, we got 42 fire stations. Um, and in that we have, we're, we're part of their special ops program. So we have, uh, nine truck companies that do the, their primary is uh, rope rescue and, uh, three squads or heavy rescues. Some places call them and they do everything else. So our, our squads do the lion's share of work uh, in the special ops community uh, confined space, trench, um, structural collapse, vehicle machinery rescue. And uh, the trucks will uh, take lead on rope rescue and uh, and support the squad uh, and, and other things as they need. Okay. And when you say um, everybody there is trained up in rope. What level are we talking about for rope and confined space and trench? Technician for everybody, operations for some. To to get on the special ops units, you have to be technician. Um, right. In in addition to, and I, I should have mentioned uh, with the special ops, and Ryan, I'm surprised you didn't uh, fix me on that. Uh, the the group that I'm I'm in charge of is the uh, special access uh, rescue climbers. So that that is beyond the rope tech, and I've got over half the team Sprat qualified, and uh, hoping to get the remainder of the the team Sprat qualified. Hope hoping to do that by this year, but uh, uh, Corona had other plans. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll tangent off on Corona in a minute. But um, so your rescue climbers. The other training or additional training they get is just the Sprat training. Is there anything else that you give them for that? Ooh. I'll take uh, this one, Donnie. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. So, um, so within those uh, special ops units, we have our trucks and our squads. Um, we took individuals by basically volunteering and put out um, information that of people who wanted to join this rescue climber program that was forming. And so they had to have at least be a rope tech and have a certain amount of time on the, in the department. And then we actually had a testing process that, that all of us went through. 
the current testing process involves uh, climbing what we have is a, it's called a ladder mill. And the best way to describe it, it's a uh, treadmill that if you stood it straight up and replaced the uh, belt on it with uh, ladder rungs. So if you can imagine, it's just an endless ladder that you climb and you can adjust the speed in which you climb it. You had to climb that ladder mill 500 feet in under 10 minutes, and you could never uh, leave the ladder mill. You could stop and hang onto the run rungs, but you couldn't step off of it during the testing process. Uh, and then after that, we gave you a, a five-minute break, and then you would have to go through what we called our knot gauntlet, in which there was uh, 12 different pieces of rope on a table. And then after being tired of climbing this 500 feet, you had to tie all 12 of these knots, which each one had a different knot labeled next to the rope, and tie all the knots correctly. Then you get another five-minute break, and then we had a... Uh, a system station where we are utilizing a building raising and lower systems with different types of equipment, MPDs, bar racks, uh, doing some changeovers from raise to lower. And you would do that station. Uh, and then we had a station which you had to ascend uh, and then do pa uh, pass a knot and then change over to another rope and uh, repel down. And then we had a final station, which was a, a simple pickoff in which you would have to perform a, uh, repel down to a, a dummy that we had and uh, perform a pickoff. And each one of those skills you had to do in uh, 10 minutes. And then after all of that, you would actually go out to um, the main, uh, the Orlando Eye, which is the large observation wheel we have down in uh, central Florida here. And you would have to climb the entire circumference of the eye, which uh, takes some time as a confidence builder. And then we took those people and they would be a part of our uh, rescue climber team. Wow. So you're actually selecting and testing for that particular team. That's a little unique for the fire service. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. And I, th I think we were better for it. We got a lot of good, good people out of it. And because the uniqueness of uh, the main, the Orlando I was the main reason that we formed this team in the first place, uh, we needed people that could climb 400 feet on a ladder and at that point, you know, call, you know, crawl through a tight hole to get inside of a cab and um, then perform skills. You know, you can't climb the uh, the 400 feet and then the, just sit there and kind of, you know, all right, I'll be I'll be ready in five minutes. You know, no, people are waiting on you and you have to be able to perform the skills. But so it worked out for the better for the program, I think, by having that testing process. Yeah, yeah. you got fit to fight. Sorry, go on, Don. No, I, I was agreeing with Ryan. I think it's really made us better as a uh, as a fire department, because, because as you know, you, you know, being in the fire service yourself, it, um, rope access isn't isn't uh, rope rescue. No. And so that's that's really had to ha we had to change how we viewed, um, you know, kind of rope rescue in a two dimensional way. We had to change that to a three dimensional view, and um, and so by requiring these these things is more than just a 40-hour class to just uh, get a C, get your uh, degree, uh, you know, shirt and cert sort of class. You have you have to you have to you have to perform, and uh, that's what we really liked about the the Sprat program is that it was 100% on the individual to pass the class, um, and and their skills. You know, they couldn't hang in the back. Uh, of a class like a lot of fire department classes you can just kind of show up you can be a part of the class 
and at the end of the week, you you know, you're certified. Uh, and Spratt's not that way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So after after the uh, the whole testing process that we go through, everybody who made it through would be eventually sent sent to a Spratt program, and they would have to. That was a part of another piece of being a part of the program. You'd have to eventually time and availability. You would have to go to through and pass a Spratt program as well to continue to be on the team. Right on. So, couple different trains of thoughts here. Let's start first before we bust off on the, the other one. You were talking about the Orlando wheel. What else is in your first due district in that county that, you know, requires this kind of training? What else have you guys got? Just so that the listeners that may not know where you're located um, have a bit of an understanding. Sure. Uh, the, the, the main reason that the rescue climbers are a team is, is the Orlando Eye. But there are also, Orlando is a unique place, and so we have a lot of other structures uh, around uh, the, the, in the same complex as the Orlando Eye is the Starflyer Swing. It's uh, the tallest mechanical swing in, uh, in the world. At least that's, that's what they're claiming this week <laughs> until next week when someone builds one a foot taller, you know. But um, it, it's 365 feet. And it swings the the rider around in a circle, just like uh, one of the carnival swings. But it is gigantic, and so that's created a, a unique access issue. So we'll be responsible for that. the uh, The Sea World Sea World has a Sea World Sky Tower, uh, similar to what uh, Knott's Berry Farm has in California that that got stuck uh, a couple years ago. So we're uh, tasked with coming up with plans for for rescuing that um there there are you know disney has a, a property that has some pretty unique structures on it and so uh so and they they've called us in the past for uh for assistance for certain things okay so definitely there is um the potential in your first due districts for a lot of these types of structures basically there are, and it's 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 Orlando, so it's the tourist, you know, capital of Florida, and and uh, if they'll if if they can dream it, they'll build it here, and then we're responsible for uh, fixing it when it, when people get stuck. <laughs> right on. So, um, just in re- regards to that, you talk about coming up with plans for different things. Could you just kind of give a bit of a rough outline, like? the operational guidelines for rescue for something like the AI. I mean, is the entire team climbing up the ladders, the ladder cage? Do you have to train people with twin legs? Are you throwing a line down for guys to run with ASAPs? Like what kind what does that look like for the listener out there? Sure. Right. For, for evacuation at the eye, we, um, we're, we're, it's going to be heavily dependent on the time of day and, and what's going on. Uh, as you can understand, in Florida, you got a, a giant glass bubble that these people are sitting in. So if if the ride breaks down and they have no air condition, then that's a, a heat casualty concern. So uh, we would handle that with, with going around and, and opening doors to try and get some ventilation going. Uh, but this is heavily, heavily manpower required. So um, it's going to be depending... Uh, on on our, our reaction time and how many people are off duty and how many people are out of country or are out of county. 
So uh, officially, we're going to start a three-man team to go and and triage the 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 ride. If somebody's having an issue, then that that's where we'll start. But there are contingents in, in uh, the Orlando I that uh, that people can can get water and 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 you know, if they need uh, water or bathroom or, or a, uh, a blanket to reflect some of the heat from, from outside, all those things are, are available inside those cabins. Mm-hmm. So the, so the wheel itself is uh, 400 feet uh, tall at its peak. And uh, for access for it, there is a ladder that imagine it, the entire structure of the eye itself is a giant circular ladder that we can climb. So if you can imagine, if you think about it as a clock, we start out at six o'clock and we either start climbing left or we start climbing right. But if you imagine when you're climbing on the ladder at six o'clock, it is horizontal. So you're almost like kind of scooching on it. And then as you go forward, the curvature of the ladder changes. So you slowly start to get more uh, vertical as you go. And uh, for doing that, uh, you're using uh, twin land uh, or um, twin uh, lanyard uh, uh, climbing claws yeah. with that as you climb, as you climb up. So that uh, very taxing, time-consuming uh, to do. And as you get, as you climb this circular ladder, about every, I would say it's probably about every 20 feet or so, there is a uh, cabin, and there's 30 total, if I remember correctly, Donnie, 30, right? <laughs> 30, 30 total cabins, and then there's small ladders that go from the main part of the wheel itself to the uh, cabins themselves. And uh, these are very small ladders. They kind of, uh, if uh, fire service people like our folding attic ladders are kind of what they look like to uh, get you out towards the uh, capsule themselves. And then one of the unique parts, again, about the, the wheel itself is that each cab has its own rescue equipment on top of it. So uh, the ropes and descent control devices and everything are actually inside of or in a package on top of the uh, cabin itself. And the reason for that is because we do not know, because the way I rescue out of one cabin at, let's say, the 3 o'clock position is different than the rescue I'm going to do at the 12 o'clock position just because of the obstacles and the orientation of the eye itself. So I cannot anticipate which car is going to be where. So when they designed it, they just put rescue equipment inside of each one. So for the most part, the only equipment that we're carrying up with us is more of our self-rescue equipment itself. And then to perform the rescues as far as the rope and harnesses and all that stuff for the... uh, uh, the the people that are inside of the um, cabins themselves is going to be in uh, on top of the uh, each individual capsule. So we crawl out onto the uh, little ladder, and then we uh, open up a hatch in the top, which is pretty small. You can imagine like the same type you would see like in an elevator or something like that, and then deploy a little small step ladder to cr- crawl on down. And then we start uh, rigging a, um, uh, you know, a simple lowering system to get them out. And there's anchors inside of the cabs themselves. And then there's anchors on the ground to do that. Um, and then get the doors open and uh, coax these individuals to, uh, to do a rescue. You know, luckily, we haven't ever had to do a uh, rescue on there before. But if it does happen, we are ready for it. 
For size 11 Cokes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, Go ahead. If, if need be. I mean, we've talked with our medical director who's, uh, who said, yeah, just send me up there and I'll, uh, I can give people uh, some stuff to help them relax. There you go. Well, that brings up a couple questions around this. Uh, lockout for this. Do you lock it out or do you want the maneuverability of it once you start climbing? So what's, uh, what's with that? No, we, we definitely would like it locked out. And there are several uh, e-stops and, um, uh, you know, key, key um, power supplies. So we'll have a, from a command standpoint, we'll have somebody in the control room with the, with the ride operator and be in communication with my climbers as they're, they're making their way around so that we we're we're positive. I mean, I trust you that you're going to lock out and tag out. Um, but, uh, trust, but verify sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now 30 cabins, how many people per cabin? 15. It could be up to 15. Correct. <laughs> so yeah, you're talking, uh, 500, 400, 500. Oh, yeah. 450 right to yeah but uh the that's not even really the really uh unique part i would say about this is that it is all shapes and sizes that are going to be allowed in that cabin absolutely so in and in rescue world and the fire service we uh, we train for that person who got themselves into that situation uh you know a 185 pound person who was able to manipulate their body and climb to a place and then get stuck or um, a, a window washer who got there in the first place and then, you know, the, the scaffolding broke. <clears throat> Excuse me. What we don't necessarily prepare for are, are these types of uh, situations where they're allowing infants on this ride. They're allowing people that are wheelchair bound on this ride. And so the really interesting thing is when you say, you know, infants and invalids that people are, they kind of shrug. Um, what kind of, what kind of, how do you, how do you pick off a six-month-old? Right, and and so we 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 have some very unique patient packaging challenges to overcome. So that's a good question. I mean, I know in Europe I've seen both bariatric and pediatric stretchers and harnesses for um, situations like this in Europe where there is uh, public access to things. Do you guys carry those things like the Kong pediatric? Um, it's like a crib that is rated or right. pediatric stretcher or slings. Do you guys carry stuff like that? No, what I have now is the CMC stork. Okay. And it's, it's similar to that. And, uh, and that was, but, but when we first started this, um, I hate to say we were not prepared for that type of uh, mindset. So, uh, one of our first trainings, we were like, okay, and uh, we put we put mannequins in the cabin, and we said, all right, you guys go ahead and uh, tell me how you're going to do this. And one of the mannequins we put in the cabin was a, you know, a, a nine month old infant, and so the patient packagings were, you know, they were they were unique. Uh, they were comical <laughs> at some points, but they were unique. Guys were tying Swiss seats to themselves with babies, and you know, so I realized that we needed something. Uh, concrete for patient packaging of pediatric and infants. Right on. A um, couple other just quick questions because, you know, people are trying to visualize this through voice. Mm -hmm. uh, you're evacuating these people to the ground, not to some common evac point that they can wander down from, correct? Correct. We, I mean, we have several options because we're, well, the goal is to try and get it done as quickly as possible. 
Um, our guys are very, very good at this. So it's, it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take too long in the grand scheme of things, but, uh, but you know, we were to say six hours to, to hit 30 cabins that, that doesn't sound like a long time for those who, who know what that's involved. Um, but six hours is going to be six hours. So we have multiple anchor points that hopefully will have multiple, uh, evacuations going at the same time. Some of those are on the roof of the structure and some of those are on the ground. Right on. Now, comms with your climbers and your rescuers, just standard fire department issue radio. Are you guys using a Vox system, earpiece, anything like that that's special? No, they're standard right now. I'm, I'm trying to find something that, that, will, that will work. But as you know, too, when you get above a certain height, uh, wind is a big problem, too. So yeah. wind noise with an open mic system or a push to talk or something. Uh, it, it was just, it, it can cause a lot of, especially, especially on some of those windy nights. I put uh, our guys up there. Ryan was up there one of the last storms we had and we were having, you know, 30 mile an hour winds sustained 25 and 30 mile an hour gusts and trying to talk over that. It's very difficult as I'm sure, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talked about each climber or each rescuer that goes up has self rescue equipment. What does that consist of? Good, Ryan. Um, yep. So we, um, originally when we started this, um, the, uh, or the, uh, the, the wheel itself actually provided, uh, some rescue equipment on there. And then we slow, we quickly realized that we, we needed our own because we couldn't take that equipment and go do a rescue somewhere else. So, but luckily seeing the equipment, uh, that they had purchased for us and they actually got the recommendations for that equipment from the team that does the rescues at the uh, London Eye um, over there. So we saw that equipment and then uh, the you know, team got together and uh, started putting what we wanted. And uh, we're basically running either uh, Petzl Aveo or Astro harnesses right now uh, with the uh, built-in crawls. Um, each, each rescuer has an ID. Uh, then you have an assortment of uh, slings. Um, and then... Um, a uh, rescue sender with a roll clip on it, uh, two pulleys, a uh, section of 50 foot of rope for uh, self-rescue or building anchors or whatever you need uh, to do with it, um, a three-meter th uh, three uh, grillion, and um, then a hand ascender with uh, foot loops and then a set of um, cowtails. Uh, and then your own harn your own uh, helmet as well. We're running the uh, mostly the cast uh, plasma helmets. Okay. Uh, and then I think that's it. Did I get it all, Donnie? And then your own set of hooks. Uh, oh, you didn't lines. name half the stuff you have. He well, yes. I'm just the standard <laughs> he, the standard he's issue. A, he's stuff. that guy that walks around with enough gear for both of us. Yes. So good guy to go with. <laughs> he he's. He's got it. You don't ask him, do you have? You just ask, where is your, and he'll hand it to you. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, and now as a department, um, are you running both dedicated main, dedicated safety systems like the rope access and twin tension, or are you more towards one or another? And diameter of ropes and <laughs> primary control descent devices that you're using. Uh, You've got that all, one, Donnie. <laughs> all excellent questions. Uh, and I wish that I had a very easy answer for you. However, you, you've worked around the fire service and fire department guys to, to know that we go with right now, our department is the standard, the standard North American fire department, fire service rope of half inch. Uh, 
this okay. this rescue climber team and the sprat that has that has kind of been depending on who you ask infecting our department has really <laughs> brought to light some of the and just some of the antiquity of of our our equipment so we got some real forward thinking chiefs that are getting into positions that they're able to make some calls and uh and so we're hoping by the end of this year to change everything over wholesale in our our department to 11 mil um and they're starting to see the the benefit especially on our rigs because you guys want to carry uh, a six the longest rope that we have on the rig without calling for a specialty rig is is a 600 footer um and so we're showing these guys that a 600 foot piece of of 11 i'm sorry of uh of 13 millimeter rope it, it takes up the same space as a thousand foot of 11 mil uh same weight and same space but you get more so they see that benefit uh g uh CMC just came out with their new G11 rope, so that that's helping on the administration side, feeling the warm and fuzzies over changing from the tried and true 13 mil rope in the fire service to the 11 mil because it, it carries the same G rating. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that by the end of this fiscal year, we'll be able to, to have wholesale changed over. We also don't have just one, one rope rescue guy for lack of a better term our our department and the training office and i've just taken a transfer to training so that's why i can i can speak this is we have my shop which is the rescue climber shop um our heavy rescue squad guys and our our truck guys and so all three of us kind of had to come up with a with an agreement on what size rope we wanted to use and and how we wanted to do that so so having these guys see some of the benefits to this 11 mil and the new equipment that's coming out uh they're they're they've bought in so we, we're just having to work through some budgetary stuff and administrative stuff to see what we can do uh, to make this happen so and i told you all that to say uh we we are changed over to what we have now currently in, in half inch is uh we're running ids and mpds uh, ASAPs for frontline. We're using two line systems, an ASAP and a and a descender, and and that's what generally is going forward now. When we make the change over to 11 mil, we're hoping to add a instead of an MPD the uh, the Harkin clutch because we've gotten our hand on one of those and and haven't found anything that we didn't like about it yet. Excellent. Um, it's funny you mentioned that in a bit of a tangent. I know when we went to 11, it's a few years ago now, uh, we, we do it by committee. We have definitely somebody that runs the program and somebody that you know buys the equipment and what have you, but we try to keep it as a committee and okay. I think there's eight of us. Um, and when we first went over, there was two folks that just, no, didn't want to go 11. And at the time, the G11 wasn't out. So we ended up going with the PMI Unicorn, which is 37.4, 37.6KN, somewhere in that neighborhood, which is pretty damn close to 40. Um, yeah. And two of the guys on the team left over this. Oh, wow. Now you fast forward to now, 
And we did some joint training with one of the departments right on our border. Uh, we're doing some trench training. And one of the scenarios we decided we were going to, you know, grab, they're using airshore still. So an airshore tripod and we lift the guy out of the hole, blah, blah, blah. And we grabbed their rope. And now they've gone to 11 since then. But at the time they were 12 and a half. And our guys are like, oh my God, it's wire. And so it took <laughs> only about five years from I'm going to quit the team if we go to 11 to Oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> wow. So it's funny, like you say, that change takes so long, but then once it happens, it's like it you never had anything previously, right? Yeah. And and that's and that's it. And and what's happening is these guys are starting to go through the sprat, the required sprat for the for the uh the climb team. They're seeing the benefits in it. And 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 people see it, they just have to be allowed to see it. Unfortunately, the fire department is is uh, heavily traditioned, and once we figure out a way to do something, it, it takes a while before we want to change that. You know, uh, our department until, uh, gosh, maybe six years ago, seven years ago, we were still a bar rack and Prusik mining pulley department. So, yeah. this it's like the two hundred years of a tradition unimpeded by change. That's right. Yes. So, and and that was just maybe six years ago. And that was the way it was done, and no one questioned it. And then, uh, you know, you, you, one person takes a class somewhere, and they're like, "This stuff is pretty nice." Have you anybody else seen? You know, and and it just starts to to spread like wildfire, and and for the better in our department. Yeah, there's been a lot. I mean, I don't know how long you guys have been on the job. I've been kicking around for about 25 years now, and when I started on the teams, it was um, eight with horns, the rescue horns, and yes. months single monitor for the belay. Oh, uh, yeah. The old school changeovers, the whole works. And then we eventually went rack instead of the horns with the belay. Then we went 540 for the belay. The oh, yeah, the 540. And then we ended up with the IDs. And then, like, that was, I mean, I'm talking from, like, 95 to, like, 2005. And then from, like, 2005 or 2010 till now, like, the last 10 years, it just, like, MPDs, 11 mil clutches, like it just, it, the curve just astronomically went up. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the funny part is we, we presented IDs to some of our guys and they said, absolutely. Just like uh, you were saying, will not, I will not repel on that plastic piece or whatever, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and now we're, we're, you know, we, it's hard to find a bar rack anymore. To put out the counter argument though, I mean, we train our recruits and I've had recruits say, oh, there's a better way to do this. And I even now, you know, you don't want to be that guy, that old stuck guy. And it's like, I get there's a better way, but we have to train 200 people here generally to ops in the same way. Tech's yes, totally yes. different. When we hit the rescue truck and whatnot, we play with different stuff and we do different drills. But for the other 200, our job's fairly small, just a couple hundred guys they all have to have the same skills going in the door and that becomes the difficulty. Right. Yeah. I would, you know, I would definitely say that is something we have to think about because each time we uh, add a new piece of equipment uh, because uh, we, we had ASAPs that went out to the rescue climbers and then we felt that we wanted to add ASAPs to the rope packages for everybody else. But anytime we want to add a piece of equipment, you know, you basically go, okay, well, the next three months of, uh, 
of our lives are going to be really busy because we have to go around and in service everybody and make sure everybody gets the training for this. So anytime we add something, it, you know, it does require, you know, the two, 300 people that have to get trained up on that particular piece of equipment before we can even implement it itself. So, and you also get my personal favorite and I, I make fun of myself a little bit of my department on this. Up until recently, you know, somebody finally went through them. Our bags ended up with rocks, IDs, MPDs, and D4s in them. <laughs> yep. Man. So, at any rate, we've digressed there. Um, medical training for your rescuers and your rescue climb team. Is it, uh, I don't know what your standard is down there, so I just ask it generally. What kind of medical training do those folks receive, and is it above the regular firefighters? Uh, so everybody is at a minimum an EMT. That's that's our fire department. And and now, um, if you're hired now with our fire department, you have three years before you have to become a medic. So it won't be long before everybody is at a minimum a paramedic. Okay. Um, now you say EMT. That's I would call that EMT basic. Then like our yes. we call it an EMR. I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same thing or similar. Yes. Okay. No, no IVs, no very few drugs. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty the same level as what Canada we'd call an EMR. Now, do you have special protocols for your medics for your uh, BLS, ALS type crews in regards to suspension trauma or heat stroke for some of these things? Um, you know, those types of interventions for rescue specific problems. We have we have yeah. uh, medical director protocols that we work under, and so those they, there's nothing that that specifically states uh, suspension trauma or there is uh, heat related emergencies, but not not suspension trauma. They, there is something where you have uh, compartment syndrome um, um, expectations, or or if you're you're concerned about someone who's having some type of uh, compartment syndrome, and so yes, they'll work uh, with uh, bicarb and or or whatever they're they're determined they're deemed all that sort of jazz and the medical director comes down with it right yeah and then as far as heat you know we live in florida so we got our heat casualties down so (laughs) right we deal with the hypothermic casualties where i'm that that and that's huge for us i mean in confined space in our quick response packs we actually carry a piece of cut up ridge rester, you know, like a ridge rest for camping. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first thing to do if they're not spinals, get them off the concrete or the, off of the, yeah. the metal because they'll freeze to death before we get them out there. Yeah. Uh, no, we don't deal with a whole lot of uh, cold weather emergencies. No, I bet. Uh, how long has this rescue climber squad been running down there now? Yeah. Uh, 2015. Yeah, 2015, 2014, around there, yeah. Yep, just the end of 2014, we, we started the training for the Orlando Eye. I think we stood the team up in 2015. Right on. Um, before we shift gears here, is there anything else with the rescue climbers you guys want to chat about? Um, well, one thing I wanted to talk about, and we talked about this uh through uh, messaging back and forth is you were asking about um, social media and stuff like that. And I wanted to kind of touch on that. Yes, please. Uh, Craig McClure from Cracker Jack would love you too as well. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, so, you know, 
you know, we social media as far as rope rescue for us, you know, can be a really good thing about, you know, uh, you know, cause we can get some really cool pictures of us climbing and doing, um, cool r- rescue training on some of these really unique structures, you know, uh, you know, at night with the lights on and everything. And it looks pretty cool, but at the same time, a unique thing that we have to deal with is that, you know, these companies at the same time, you know, don't want pictures of, you know, dummy, you know, dummies or mannequins being rescued off of their rides because, you know, maybe some people see that and don't want to ride their ride anymore. So um, we have to definitely be cognizant of that and, you know, keeping an eye on, you know, you know, when we're out there. And um, so that leads to us doing a lot of training very, 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 very late at night, like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Um, but all the, all the different companies that we work with are really good about that, about, you know, opening up these facilities for us at these late hours and being there and and answering our questions and everything like that. Um, and just like, oh yeah, again, opening up their doors to us to be able to do that. And then in turn, you know, we just try to be cognizant about us, you know, you know, being careful about, you know, making sure that they're shown in the right light that, you know. It's not the this is going to happen. It's the, you know, the what if, you know, the the world ends and we're going to enact this rescue. The chances are very, very low of it happening. But we do have to still practice for these things. So right on. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up because there are a lot of sensitivities around social media and even the pictures that get sent out. People don't realize that, you know, sometimes that you know a picture gets sent out but that's caught before anybody ever goes live right yes yeah (laughs) we don't get a say sometimes on who takes these photos and it's why i love teaching confined space because what i say to guys is the best thing about confined space is no one's down there with a camera right (laughs) nobody wants to be no rules in the hole yeah exactly um we're coming up on about 37 minutes so i just want to ask you guys a couple questions and i throw the disclaimer out here that you know, in regards, I want to ask you about the COVID-19 protocols. And the reason I want to is just there's a lot of people that are asking us about, you know, what are we doing? What are you doing? What are other people doing? So that their departments, if they're not 100% up to speed, can get some other ideas. But I throw the disclaimer out that talk to your own medical direction in your department as well. Um, there's different protocols around the world right now. I mean, I've got them from China and Europe and what have you. Some of the stuff is similar and some people are taking different tracks on it. So what's good for one may not be good for all. So with that mm-hmm. long-winded disclaimer out of the way, um, how are you guys dealing with COVID-19 and rescue? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Uh, our, our administration has tried to minimize the exposure and risk to our department by minimizing the response. And that is that, that what used to get a, a five or six person response in an engine company and an ambulance, or we call them rescues. What used to get a a five or six person response has been dropped down to a two, two person response on the rescues on the ambulances. And they start their assessment, you know, from the yard if, if, if they're able to. And they make a determination once they get on scene what else they'll need going forward. And that was in an effort to to try and minimize the number of people. If there is a, a COVID-19, an actual COVID-19 emergency, to minimize the number of people exposed. 
and they're thereby limiting the the number of fire department personnel that would have that in, in the manpower that that would be required for that okay um stuff that we've been chatting about on our rescue and i mean we're just spitballing here i'm just what your guys's opinion on it is stuff like if we got to send someone into a vehicle because of auto extrication do we put them in there on an scba at this point because they're in a confined area with you know some of that i mean what we've been down is assume everybody including yourself has it um right you know what about if we've got to run a stretcher and we've got to have somebody running that stretcher they're in, within six feet of that patient two meters for all the uh, uh metric listeners yes <laughs> for the duration of that call like have you guys thought about that have you spitballed that as a department as a rescue team like scba do you put them in on sar on a car do you just wrap them the way we've been running local medical calls which i mean chatting with you guys it sounds like we're running the same way if it's uh suspected or knowing it's Tyvex and goggles, N95, face shield. Um, and that sounds pretty standard. Is Or would you stick with that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, face shield and gown for the rescuer. And it's the N95. If uh, if the the patient, once the you get there, the patient gets a, a surgical mask, uh, we try to limit anything that's going to aerosolize. So um, updrafts or or, or uh, uh, oxygen that, that's going to be nebulized and anything that's going to create uh, particles. So we'll put them on a mask and, and transport rapidly uh, temperatures for for everybody. And, and I think we spoke earlier about uh, temperatures for our rescuers and temperatures for uh, in and out uh, in the mornings. But but our, our, our guys are going to be, I'm sorry, our... our Ambulance personnel, when they have a suspected respiratory uh, emergency, they'll they they uh, they don the the full thing, and and it's they're following uh, NFPA just put or I'm sorry uh, the IAFF just put out a a, a video, and so we follow that uh, very similarly to how they do. Yeah, basically anybody we're coming in close contact with, like Donnie was saying, is immediately going to be, whether in any situation, whether re regular medical or even, you know, if we're going to be cutting somebody out of a car or something, they're going to be put on a mask immediately. And then we're just been, you know, up in our PPE to probably the N95 and everything. Uh, the department's been a, done a really good job of just keeping an eye on our supply of these um pieces of PPE so far, you know, we have daily counts to make sure that everybody's good on it right now. So for the most part, uh, we haven't had to move over to, you know, wearing SCBA to save on masks because we're out. Um, I'm sure maybe if that, if ever came to that, that could be an option, but you know, we just might be just doing some extrications wearing an N95 or, uh, maybe repelling rope with an N95 mask on, you know, which, you know, just control your breathing and not hyperventilate, and I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, wrapping the patient, that's huge. We've discussed that up here as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we can definitely speak to doing rope access on half-mask respirators, like your P100 cartridge OV, because yep. we've done some fiberglass insulation work-style stuff inside of confined spaces, mm -hmm. and you soak those masks. Like it doesn't I take long for you to be sucking pretty hard through that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about, it. we have some pappers and we have, uh, you know, some of the hazmat, uh, mm -hmm. cartridges and, and, 
they're they're doing pretty well by us. We haven't had to go the the way on down the road. We we if if this thing continues on for another uh, you know six months or so, we may be at the point of SCBAs. Uh, but we the department has done a very good job of getting us the supplies that we need to to make sure our guys are safe. Awesome. Um, anything else you guys want to throw in here before we sign off? No, appreciate the work you guys are doing. I, I love, uh, wish your videos were a little longer on your Instagram and, and, uh, YouTube, man. <laughs> Just about the time I think you're, I got it. And then it, it cuts off. So won't you give me the whole story on those things? Yeah. Well, <laughs> for rescuers, this whole social media thing's new to us, but yeah, too. We're going to be playing a little more with that, especially the stuff we did today. Kevin's actually in another room in our office right now, uh, hitting all that and putting it together so we can put it up on YouTube. So give it a couple of days because that's the kind of time. And then um, the next one we're looking at is actually going to do one of the weeks we're going to do rigging a monopod. Then the next week we'll do rigging the sideways A on the other side of the structure. And then the week after that, we're going to run an English reeve in between them just for fun. So Nice. We've got a five, 10 minute little thing. So guys don't get bored. Cause that's the other thing I know about firemen. Ooh, right. Oh, crayon. Wait, what colors that? What was they doing over here? Again? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And the next, you know, you're into the next County. So, um, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys coming on this rescue climber program you have and talking with Ryan a while ago about this really kind of piqued my interest. Um, just because it's a bit unique what you're doing with kind of almost like a tryout to get there. I mean, I've right. seen that in Hong Kong. I've seen that FDNY kind of picks their own BSP or uh, Paris, um, um, you know, but they're military, that team. So it's interesting to see a North American fire department that's been able to implement that. And kudos to you guys for doing it. Yeah, thank you. It, it's uh, the creation of it is largely to do with Ryan and him trying to make uh, make sure the best possible candidates doing it, but also got to. Uh, say that our uh, our HR department signed off on everything that uh, that we put out there. Uh, they're interested in having a top tier team as much as we are, so they really helped us out in that aspect too. Right on. Well, anyways, gents, thank you very much, and uh, I'll chat with both of you later. I'm sure. All right, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark.